Hello, Saubona, how's it? Molo, Jumbo, and welcome to the Everyday Nation podcast. We hope this message will inspire you and draw you closer to Christ. Enjoy. Good morning, church. Wow. Big thank you to the Dlamini family. Wow, you guys were so awesome. How cool was Sikue just up there on the keyboard already, punching away? What a champion. I mean, I think when it, with this family, you guys are just your next level. I don't, did you guys see the switch that took place? I mean, it's normally Quetaba on drums and, um, and Bacosi on keyboard and, and singing. And now, <laughs> you know, Bacosi's on drums and Quetaba's on bass. It's like you guys are, you're definitely, I think, the Korah, the Korah, Koranites in the, in the Bible, hey, that, that family that was just full of worshippers. It's just beautiful. Thank you. And I'm still laughing at the chat that's happening this morning. Zimana is going to be hiding in Mark's bag coming to the camp. Um, Zimana, that's priceless. <laughs> Trish says that, Mark, you're not allowed to hide in Zimana's bag when she comes to the color conference. Okay, just, just so you know. Anyway, church, let's get into the Word this morning. Um, I've got a Word. Uh, uh, we, we're going to be kicking off our faithful and fruitful series for the next six weeks. This is what we're going to be looking at. And as I said last week, really, this message flows out of our Vision Sunday from last week. And um, last week I just spoke about how, you know, we, we need to align with our vision the vision that God has called us to. And, you know, I want to say, like, as, as a church, our vision is not changing, all right? You've heard it in the intro video this morning. You've, you hear it frequently. Our vision is still to honor God. It's still to advance His kingdom. We want to be a healthy church, and we want to start other healthy churches. That's still our vision. We've got a number of goals as well. We want to be a 1,000 strong, a 100 young. We want to have 24-7 prayer and praise, and we want to see the power of God in our services. That doesn't change. All right, That's inspiring. I don't know. When I look at that vision, I'm like, yeah, let's do that. Okay, And that's what vision should be. It should be bold. It should be out there. It should be like... You know, it's going to take something to get there. It shouldn't be just like, ah, oh, that's easy. We can do that. And, and I think our vision is that. It is bold. It is inspiring. But the question is this, is how do we accomplish vision? You know, vision is great. We can have the most amazing vision statement. We can be like, we want to change the whole continent. We want to like plant a thousand churches. We can have amazing vision. But how do we accomplish vision is the question. You know, if, if, if all we have is vision and we never have a plan to accomplish our vision, then vision is actually an illusion and it's wishful thinking. And so, you know, last week I, I put up a picture of some geese flying in a V formation. And I said, and I used that as an illustration just to say how geese, they come together and they fly in a V formation. And I always just thought they were just being like creative and cool, okay? But there's a lot, there was method, there's method in it, alright? They, they fly in that formation because they can go 70% further than if they were just flying alone. Just, just by themselves, they, they would not be able to reach the destination that they're going to. And so whenever you have a group of people or a community of people and, and there's a vision in front of them, what is critical to achieving that vision is that we fly in some sort of formation. Is that there is some sort of way that we come together in order to, to reach our destination. 
And, and really that's what I want to go after. And so what is that formation? You know, what is that V formation that we as every nation, Durban, get into, can get into? And this is what it is. Let me show you. I've got a picture which I'm going to show you of our V formation. And our V formation looks like, looks like this. It looks like being faithful and fruitful. It looks like being faithful to connect, grow, and serve, and being fruitful to reach, disciple, and impact. If we are faithful in connecting with one another, if we're faithful in growing in our spiritual faith, if we're faithful to serve in the various teams and ministries that we have, if we're fruitful individually and we're reaching lost people around us and we're fruitful and we're making disciples and we're living lives of impact in our workplaces, I can tell you now that we will be a healthy church that starts other healthy churches. We will advance God's kingdom. We will honor Him. We will start new churches. We will become a thousand strong. We will have a hundred young. Why? Because we're in formation. And if just one of us is in that V, or like three of us are in that V formation, it's okay. But imagine if all 100, 200 of us were flying in that formation. If all of us, every single member was both faithful to connect, grow and serve and fruitful in reaching and discipling and impacting, we would have this massive V. I mean, we could take over the world, guys. <laughs> There's nothing that is impossible if we could all fly in sync together. And last week I spoke about just how church has become very me-focused and not we-focused. And I want to remind us again that, that this is a we-calling. Okay, we're just a, this is a we, this is a we, church is a we at the end of the day. We're not a we church like they say in Scotland, all right? We're a, we're a powerful church, not we like in that sense. I mean, we as in connected, all right, together. So, so what we want to do is we want to build a culture in our church. And this is what we're going after for the next six weeks. Guys, isn't this exciting? I'm, I'm pumped about this, all right? I'm pumped. We're going to go after building a culture of coming into a V formation. Um, and, and why a culture? Well, because Peter Drucker said the following. He said that culture eats strategy for breakfast. I like that. John Maxwell took it a little further, and he said, culture eats vision for lunch. <laughs> Culture's eating everything, by the sounds of things. Um, and, and John Maxwell says this, he says, vision is I have a dream, but culture is this is how we march into March. All right, we're marching into March. Ha, ah, this is prophetic. We saw that on the chat. I think that was you, Fazeko, who put that in the chat. Amen, you are on it. We are marching into March, all right? Culture is how we march. Vision is about one day. Culture is about what happens every day. The best predictor of your future is not your vision statement. The best predictor of your future is what do you do every day? If you just had to say to me, and I have to come to you, for example, and I say, what is your personal vision? What is your life vision? And you give me this big, bold statement. I go, awesome, that's great. What does your last week look like? <laughs> Show me your time schedule. <laughs> and I can tell you whether you're going to get to your vision or not, okay? Because why? Because culture is what we do every day. And culture eats vision for lunch. All right? It eats strategy for breakfast. It's, it's the overarching thing. It is the thing that you have to focus on if you really want to get to where you're going. I don't know about you guys, but I want to get 
to where we want to go. I want to get there. And I don't mind if I'm old and I don't mind if I'm a little bit more gray, you know, as coming through. <laughs> and I don't mind if, you know, you know, like we have to go through a, a few generations to get there, but I want to get there. I just want to get there. I want to get there. I want to see the end. I want to see that picture. I want to know what a church that's got 24-7 praise and prayer looks like. I want to see a thousand strong. I want to see us planting churches in other nations around the world. That's, I want to see that. I don't know about you. I want to see that. That is, that is just what I dream about, you know. But then we've got to go after culture. We have to go after culture. And so today I, and, and for the next six weeks, we're going to talk about Building a culture where we are faithful and we are fruitful. And each week, what we're going to do is we're going to hit one of those six verbs. So, so for the next three weeks, we're going to do faithful to connect. Next week, we'll do faithful to grow. The week after that, faithful to serve. Then we're going to start looking at being fruitful. How we can be fruitful to reach people. How we can be fruitful to disciple and live lives of impact. So we're going to talk about it over the next couple of weeks. We have the I Connect as well, which is a, a sermon summary, discussion guide. And our, and our goal here, guys, is that whatever is preached here, and there's going to be various people bringing messages over the next couple of weeks, is whatever is preached here that we take the I Connect and we drill it down into our lives and we build around it, that we build culture. You know, today I'm going to be talking about building a culture where we're faithful to connect. Okay, that's the, the message for today, being faithful to connect. And my, my hope is that we will, we will then drill it down and, and you're going to take this and process this and let it become practical in your weekly schedule. Amen. So let's just... Maybe if I could just pray before, um, before we get into this. And, we, and we're not going to go to a, a, like a, I'm going to go to multiple scriptures this morning. So we're not going to pray our normal prayer. I'm just going to pray a prayer of asking God to, to lead this moment. Father in heaven, we just commit this time to you, Lord. And I just ask, Father, that you would enable me to deliver your heart this morning. May, may your desire for your church, which you love so much, which you call your bride, may, may that heart come through to us today. And Lord, every wrong perception we have of church and community or any hurts we might have regarding it, Lord, I'm asking that this would be a healing word, a transforming word, a life-giving word. Father, a reshaping, a renewing of the mind for us this morning. In the mighty name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. I'm going to start this morning with a quote from the New York Times. <laughs> Emily Son, all right, a research journalist for the New York Times, wrote the following. She said, humans can survive three minutes without air. I don't know if that's true. My son can hold his breath longer, I think. Humans can survive three, three minutes. Hey, that's quite short. Dr. Tiam, is that correct? Roundabout, roundabout, thank you. Three minutes without air. Yo, that's quick, eh? Life's gone in three minutes. <laughs> three days without water, three weeks without food, and according to survival lore, three months without companionship. Whether true or not, what's clear is that people need people. There was a study, she went on and she wrote in this article about a study where they took a, a group of 
uh, people, and they put them each in individual isolation chambers for like a, more than a day. And they took away every form of communication. No laptops, iPads, whatever, phones, nothing. They, they didn't have anything with them. They were just alone. All they could do was read books or draw or write. That's all they could do. And then what they did was they took them after that time and they started to show them pictures of people having fun together, of eating together, of playing together. And while they were showing those pictures, they put scans on their brains <laughs> to see what part of the brain was being stimulated or whatever. And what they found was the exact part of the brain, like if you are deprived, if you are deprived of food, all right, God forbid, for like that same length of time, and then a juicy hamburger is put in front of you, the part of your brain that's going crazy is the exact same part of the brain that went like that lit up when these people saw pictures of social interaction. And what the study concluded was this, is that, that food and fellowship go really well together. They're just essential to human survival. To, to what, we, what makes us human. They like, they, they, the fellowship, we know we would always say, oh, we can survive without people, but not food. Right? They, they're actually equal in, in a sense. They, they both, that's why isolation is actually a form of torture. Now, Livia Tomova, she's a cognitive neuroscientist at the University of Cambridge in Britain. And she was the author of the study, and this is what she said. It was surprisingly consistent across all groups of people. Social interaction is not just something that's kind of fun or comforting. It's something that we really need in order to function. So this article came in a response to the, the, the viral pandemic that we're going through right now. And it was really talking about also the social pandemic that came along with it. The, the, the things of being isolated. And what they've found, you know, across a number of studies is this, is that when you isolate people from other people, the, cha the chances of becoming unhealthy skyrocket. Alzheimer's disease, mental disorders, heart function. Just like you take people away from people and our bodies start to collapse like they, don't, like they collapse if we don't have food. And, they, and there's this massive study at the moment going into loneliness because loneliness is on the increase in our society. And it's costing society in mental health, physical health, days of work, years of life. One study showed that it's more dangerous than smoking even. And it's become almost in medical terms like a disease in itself. The Bible, I want you to know, fully agrees with this and has been saying this for a very long time. Right in the beginning, God said it's not good that Adam should be alone. Amen. Amen. I have a few amens out there. <laughs> oh. <laughs> it's not good that he should be alone. And he wasn't specifically just talking about Adam. And he wasn't specifically just talking about men. And he wasn't specifically just talking about the context of marriage. He was talking about everything and everyone. It's not good that we, that humans are alone. It's not good. That was the first not good in all of creation. And so God brought Eve and he created family and he created society. He is the author behind society, family and every uh, community function that we have. He had all of that in mind. The Bible says that two is better than one. 
for they have a good reward for their labor. And it goes on in Ecclesiastes. It's just talking about two is better than one. And then it says this phrase. It says, pity the man who falls and has no one. Pity the man who falls and has no one. Pity the man who falls and has no one. You know, guys, we're living in a time where it's incredible. It's, it's actually, it's, it's like a revolution. Like we're li- literally seeing something change in front of our eyes right now. We are living in the most connected time in all of history. In terms of technology, if you want to speak to someone, you can speak to someone when... If you're out hiking, you can phone them, you know. You can get hold of anyone at any time. They can even be in a foreign country, you know. There, there's, you can even see them now on, you know, Zoom and stuff like that. We are more connected than ever, but what we're finding is that as we have become more connected, and it's, it's a paradox, it's crazy, loneliness is soaring to new levels. In fact, one study showed that the people who use social media the most are more lonely than those who don't. <laughs> what, what, I mean, you would think, I'm on social media. This is social. It's not. It's not scratching the itch. It's not hitting the spot. It's not touching us the way we were meant to be touched. It's, it's like a cheap thing that doesn't satisfy. Have you ever bought like some food item and it just never met your expectation? That's what social media and interact and the, this connected world is. It's just, it doesn't hit the spot. And what they're finding out with people nowadays is that history, in history, you, people typically had about four to seven confidence that they could go and talk to. Now that number has dropped to one. So we're living in a world where, like just rewind the clock 50 years ago, most people had about four to seven people that they could go and talk to. Now, that number has dropped to one. In, the gen, in Gen Z, what, what's being reported, Gen Z, you know, your, your 18 to 20 year, some 22-year-olds, they are the most connected generation who have ever existed on this planet. They are the loneliest generation, with more than three quarters saying that they feel always alone. And if you just think this is all American, I want you to know that South Africa ranks eighth in terms of the loneliest countries in the world. In the world, we're eighth <laughs> on the lonely scale, with more than 24% of our population living alone. So, so what do we know right now? What do we, we know this is that relational connection is critical to health. It's critical to life. It's critical to being human. It's what we so need. It's what we so want. It's on the same level as food. But what we do know from the world we live in right now is that we are getting worse at it. (laughs) We are not getting better at it. We are getting far worse at this thing. Enter the church. Where does... The church fits into this picture, into this dilemma. I mean, we have, we have marriage, we have family, we have communities that we go to at work, at school, in sports. We have all these different communities. Where does church fit into this picture? Is church another community amongst other communities, another option amongst others? Is it, 
Is it just like, you know, like, okay, the sports people, they like the sports things, and then if you're a church person, then you wear the, the shiny shoes, and you say amen and hallelujah, and you love to sing a lot and go to services, you know, while others like to go to the beach. And, and that's it. you just got to find your space, your community, where you fit in. Is that, is that what it is? Well, when we go to the Bible, no, it's not. It's absolutely not. Church is not a community amongst others. What we look at in the Word is what we see is that church is a community that's called out from others. Jesus said this in John 15, 19. He says, you're not of this world. I have chosen you out of this world. In fact, the word ecclesia means that. to be It's the called out ones, the ones who are chosen out, withdrawn from the world, okay, pulled out of the world. In other words, a community that's distinct and counter the culture and communities that exist in the world. Different. In Matthew 5.14, Jesus says, You're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. So let your light shine before men. Jesus says to us, He says, as a church... You're the light. What does that mean? It means you're the source of direction. Light brings hope, brings life. It brings morality. It brings healing. Light brings freedom. That's what you are, the church. A city set on a hill means that you are above other, the other places and you're meant to be a place of influence amongst the other places. So church is a community called out to shine and give light to every other community that we have. In Ephesians 1, Paul said this. He says, at the center of this, Christ rules the church. The church, you see, is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. The church is Christ's body in which he speaks and acts and by which he then goes out and fills everything with his presence. When the, when the scripture says that the world is peripheral, it means not central. Peripheral, if you can think of your visions, things that are in your periphery are, are things on the side. They're not center. They're not central. So they're not primary. And what he's saying is the church is the primary to the world. Now, I'm not trying to take away the significance of any industry or your calling in the workplace or anything like that. Your calling... Your industry that you work in is critical, it's valuable, it's important, it's how you can express the kingdom. However, the church is unique from every other industry in that it is the place in which our callings are activated. It's the place in which our callings are guided. It's the place in which we are equipped for our callings. It's the place in which we are empowered to go and live out our callings and fill the world with God's presence. You take away the church, you take away the source, the centrality of what God wants to do, and every other kingdom expression then dries up and downs out. So the church is then central to God's plan. It is the channel or vessel through which the kingdom then comes to the world. That's why the best way to transform the world is to go plant local congregations. Find any community that's broken and damaged and there's divorce and there's poverty or whatever. What's the best thing to do? Plant a church, man. Get those people saved and discipled and watch the kingdom come. And we will see God come to earth. The church is central to that. And this is where I believe we need a shift in our thinking when it comes to this, this thing called church. So the question then is, well, knowing that, what is the role that church plays 
in our increasingly relationally dysfunctional and lonely world? <laughs> it's a good question. What is the role that church should play? Well, exactly what I've been talking about. If, if, the, chur- the, if the church should be something that's different to what we find in the world. It should be the model or the standard or the blueprint for how people do relate with one another. So, for example, if in the world you find shallow relationships, in the church what we should see is deep, meaningful, heartfelt friendships. If in the world you find gossip and slander and dishonor, in the church you should find honor and you should find people prophesying and speaking good over each other and encouraging each other and lifting each other up. If in the world you find competitiveness and self-exaltation, in the church what you should find is humility, servant-heartedness. If in the world you find inequality, racism, prejudice, chauvinism, what you should find in the church is the opposite of all of that. You should see great pictures of men honoring women and women honoring men. You should see different cultures getting on with each other. Whiteies, darkies, lighties, yellowies, brownies, all somehow getting on with one another. When in the world, they like you see them all gathering and they clicks and they little, you know, what we should find in the church is a multicultural expression of the kingdom of God with every tribe, every tongue, every language. If in the world you see loneliness and individualism, what you should find in the church is community and heartfelt connection where I am known and can, be, and can know. Now, what I've said is really, I've said a lot of should be's. <laughs> if in the world we see this, then in the church you should. If in the world we see, then in, we should see this. You know, this is Jesus' desire, is that the church would be distinct from the world, counterculture to the world, the standard, the blueprint for the world. Should be, but it's not always exactly that. And this is the challenge for the church. And I want you to hear me this morning, family. This is what I want you to hear. In Romans chapter 12, Paul wrote probably one of the most amazing chapters in the Bible. I said, well, how do you say that's the most amazing? (laughs) You can't. For this sermon, it's one of the most amazing chapters. (laughs) It's really an entire chapter on how we should relate with one another in the church. The picture of what church should look like. But it's very interesting that he starts off Romans chapter uh, chapter 12 and verse 2. The second verse, he says this, Do not be conformed to the, the pattern of this world, but be ye transformed by what? The renewing of your mind. He starts off the chapter talking about relational, how we should honor and defer and love and work together and have different gifts. And He starts that chapter by saying this, Don't conform to the pattern of this world. And what he was saying is, guys, you are not to look like the rest of the world. And in in some way, we're guessing that the Roman church did. (laughs) 
the Roman church in some way did look like the world and he had to exhort them and say, don't conform to that pattern. This is the pattern. This is what we should be building. And I want to say to us, Every Nation Durban this morning, let's not conform to the pattern of what we're seeing happening outside because the danger for the church is this, is that we be influenced by the world and we look exactly like the world. So when you have backbiting and gossip and slander and dishonor out there, you just come in here and it's just another expression of it. You know, that we have to guard ourselves and our relationships so that we never look like that, but we always look like what we see in the Word. We're living in a time right now, and I would summarize it in two words, individualism and consumerism. We're living in a time of just (laughs) rapid individualism. It's just... Everywhere, individual. It's all about the individual. It's all about me, my, 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 my. And we're living in a time of consumerism. So, for example, think about it like this. You go to the cinemas. Well, we, do you remember going to cinemas? <laughs> do you remember those days? We, like, hey, we used to have these things called cinemas. <laughs> and we used to go there. Um, <laughs> um, and, and what do you do when you go to the cinema? You, you pay for your tickets. You buy your popcorn and your slush puppy. How many slush puppy fans do we have? Come on, I want to see all the slush on the chat. On the chat, who are the slush puppy fans? I want to see a, a hand over there, all right? Slush puppy is like, that's what makes a movie, you know? And, it, and it's like, and you have to mix them. You, have, you can't just go for the one flavor. I always, they do that. In case you didn't know, if you're a slush puppy fan, you can mix your slush puppies, all right? <laughs> You get your slash puppy, you get, you, you go in, you sit down, you watch your movie, you eat your popcorn, and then you leave, right? Can I ask, maybe just for the people in the room, tech team and worship and serving teams, how many of you have made really good lifelong friends by going to the cinema? No one. Did you meet people the last time you went to the cinema? Did you have like some deep, meaningful conversation? No. Probably not. Let me ask another question. How many of you have actually met someone, uh, made a good lifelong friend from being on the bus or a taxi to work? Maybe, maybe a little, yeah. Bonolo, okay, the, the high connector or later. But generally not. I don't know, have you ever been on a New York subway or a London subway? It, what a culture shock when I went there. I mean, I just got on and everybody opened their books and read. And it was just the most awkward thing for me as an African. Like, what are you, we not going to talk? No one's going to say hi to anybody? No one's going to do anything like this? Like, is there nothing yeah? And then we, and then what? We just get off? And, and I don't see you? Like, it just felt weird the first time I did that. But that's the world we live in. It's, it's, it's individualism and consumerism on another level. Let me ask you this. Last time you were in a mall, lots of busy people in a mall there. How many people did you stop and have a good long conversation with? Say, oh, hey, how are you? And those are a nice pair of shoes. I mean, if somebody stopped you and said, that's a nice pair of shoes, wouldn't you think they're a bit of a weirdo? (laughs) Do you know, if you rewind the clock 50, 60 years, that was not the world we lived in. 50, 60 years ago, you used to know who your grocer was, who you bought your meat from. You knew them by name and they knew you by name. You used to know who you bought your your vegetables from. 
You used to walk around the street and you used to know people. You used to go to the shops and see your friends and have deep conversations while you were at the shops. You lived in a street where everybody knew you and knew your family. Let me ask you, is that the world you live in today? Not. Can, can you just see how the much has changed in such a short period of time? People are living in blocks of flats where they don't know anybody there. They live right next to you, down below you. If they died, you wouldn't even know. You, never, <laughs> you would never even know what's, what's going on in their life. So question, based on the world that we see outside, has the church become like the world in this regard? Or are we living counter to what we see out there? Is the church a cinema experience? Where you come in and you get your worship and your word and you leave and you never said hi or connected or built relationship with anyone. Is the culture out there coming in here? In many ways it has. In many ways it has. And I'm sad to say that. You know, in many ways it has. Church has become another cinema that we go to. And there's no more deep, meaningful conversations or relational connections than like getting on a taxi or a bus or some form of public transport. It's become very similar to out there. And what I want to say every nation Durban is we've got to war against that. We've got to fight against that, man. We're swimming upstream on this. We are like, we've got to, you know, we've got to say, no, that is not how we're going to do life. We're going to do life Bible way. We're going to do it what we see in the Word. We can't allow that to become what we see in here, where this just becomes like a train station. And you just, oh, I think I saw that guy. No, I didn't, maybe. And then they're in and they're out and then they're gone. And then there's no other, there's, you're not known. <laughs> and you don't know any others. You know, a couple of years ago, Trish and I and the boys, we went to synagogue. Um, our, like the, the famous large synagogue in uh, Musgrave. And it's a massive synagogue, you know. It's like a huge, big building. I was actually scouting it, but... <laughs> anyway, we went to synagogue. And it was, a, it was a very interesting experience. You know, men and women divide. Me and the boys, we get like primary seats. Trish had to go up at the top at the back. But what was very interesting is... What I found when I went to synagogue was this, is that there was a very high level of relational connection. The person that I spoke to there knew exactly how many Jews there were in Durban. Like, just in the conversation, he said there's only 3,300 and whatever Jews in Durban. He just dropped that. And I was like, wow, that's that's pretty impressive. And then he showed me at the back wall of the synagogue are all the family names of the synagogue. Your name gets like... You know, like at school, you have those like gold leaf names on the like diving captains. I was never on those boards, but anyway. <sighs> My boys will be there. <laughs> uh, you know, but like, like they have these gold leaf names at the back of, of the families who are part of that congregation. And if someone in that family dies, a little light comes on next to their name. And so at the back, you'll see all these little red lights of those who have passed away, but they remembered. And I just thought, I was just in this moment of like looking at that and thinking, how different is this to what is out there? And maybe that's like a little bit far. I'm not saying we need to like start putting our family names up here. But, but, but here's the thing. We're living in a world where there's no faithfulness to community. There's no loyalty anymore. 
People like you don't work for your company. Who's loyal to their company nowadays? What? Give me a better job with more money. I'm gone. I'm out of there. You know, where, where is the loyalty to communities? Communities have become places where we consume, not contribute. Communities are these places where they, we go as long as they're serving us and getting what we need for our individual life, then great. But as soon as that needs not met, we're like, gone, I'm out of here, you know? And so, you know, we have to war against that sort of mentality coming into you. I'm not saying we need to put all our names up, but what I am saying is we've got to guard this from becoming like a railway station. We've got to, we've got to war against the, 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 the trend that is out there. You know, we're not alone in our, in our battle in this area, right? We're not alone. When you go look at Scripture, what you find, you know, when Paul was writing to the Corinthian church, they had the same problem. In the Corinthian church, what we see is that there were Jews who were getting saved, there were Gentiles who were getting saved, and these different Greeks who were getting saved, and these different communities were like suddenly now in the same room. And like, I mean, you want to know racism. Like that, those days, racism was like on major levels. Like they didn't talk or associate or Jews wouldn't even hang out with a Gentile. You know, wouldn't eat with them. What? You crazy. Eat food with a Gentile? You know, there was, this, there was like racism and, you know, super stuff going on in those days. But suddenly now they all get saved and they all get full of the Spirit. And now they're in the same room. <laughs> What's going to happen? <laughs> well... The Jews kind of gathered on that side of the church and the Gentiles gathered on that side of the church and the Greeks kind of hang out in their little corner and, and the church, although they were under the same you know, place, they were, they were very divided. And so Paul had to write in Corinthians and he says, guys, just so you understand this, what we're building is not disconnected communities. He said this in, Rome, uh, in Corinthians 12 verse 12. He said, the human body has many parts, but many parts make up the whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. He was speaking directly into the cultural situation of that day. And he was trying to tell them that the church of Jesus Christ is not a finger over there and an arm over there and a leg down there. It's not a disjointed community where you pop in and get what you need and then you're out. No, it's a united body. Every part is connected. Every part contributes. Every part receives. There's a give and there's a receive. There's a belonging. And the, and the finger can't say, I don't need the eye. And the eye can't say, I don't need the ear. And what if we were all just one big ear? Where, where would the sense of smell be? Where would the nose be? And, and there's some parts that are given more honor and there's some parts that are hidden. And he gives this incredible analogy of what church should look like as an interconnected, diverse, but united community. In his second letter to the Corinthian church, the same church, he wanted to bring it back to them in, in 2 Corinthians 8 verse 5. And he says this, he says, he was boasting about the church in Macedonia, and he said, they gave themselves to the Lord, and then by God's will they gave themselves to us as well. And he was trying to say to the Corinthian church, guys, Church is not a consumer item on your list. It's not a brand that you associate with. It's not an event that you attend. So if some people, you speak to our generation, you say, do you go to church? And they'll go, yes. And what they mean is that they'll, they'll probably throw out a brand. Hillsong, Every Nation, Grace, I go to... They, they affiliate with a brand. 
and they go to an event on a Sunday morning. That's not church. Church is people. Church is a community. Church is what you saw up here, a family. And, 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 and it's, it's a body, it's a group of people that you commit, you, you look what, you give yourself to. That's what church is. It's a community that you give yourself to. When you join this church, you're not signing up with an every nation brand and vision and, you know, like this corporate thing. You're, you're committing to work with Asipe and Bonolo and Mac and, and Trish. You're, you're, you're committing to the people in the room. That's what church is. It's a body of people, not an event, not a brand. And Jesus said this. He said, he said no, sorry, I'm going to say 1 John. 1 John 3.16 says this. It says, how do we know what love is? Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. The Apostle John said that. What he was saying is this. is like, please get this. Your Christian walk is not just a you and Jesus thing. It's a you laying your life down for your brothers. <laughs> like, I feel like I'm warring against what's out there in the world this morning, guys. Please hear me. We are fighting this thing. We are not going to be like that out in the world. We are, we are, we are going to be counterculture. Jesus said this. He said, By this, by your love for one another, everyone will know that you are my true followers. True followers of Jesus are a community that are as committed to each other as they are to the Lord. That is church. As committed to each other as to the Lord. In the same breath. In Acts 2, we find probably, and granted this was the honeymoon phase of the church, but look at this. It says, Now all who believed were together. They were united. And had all things in common and sold possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continually daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. That is a picture of church. It's a community doing life together. A community that's deeply connected. Now, I know I'm speaking to a highly individualistic, consumerist generation right now. And, and what I'm saying right now can actually make a whole lot of people go, I, I, I don't want to do that. <laughs> that's not really for me. Actually, that sounds pretty hectic. As committed to people as I am to the Lord, Woo! I'm quite happy just slipping in and consuming and then it's a lot easier to do that. There's a relationship cost. There's, we, I mean, think about this as a, as a generation that's of individuals and consumers. We're not used to people. You know, you get close to people. People are messy. They say things we don't like. They, 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 are they weird and they, they don't always like scratch the fellowship itch that we have and people are like, you know what, they're like messy, you know, <laughs> and relationships are messy. And actually, let's also be honest, we're not used to opening up our lives. 
I mean, we are such a relationally dysfunctional generation. We're not used to coming into fellowship. We've got so many insecurities that haven't been dealt with because we live in the individualistic world. Like we've never dealt with our insecurity of how we look and how we speak and am I, do I measure up or do I not measure up or and we haven't dealt with those and then and so we don't want to come into fellowship because then we're going to have to deal with our insecurities, our own personal stuff. You know, and, and so this looks messy and difficult and it's going to cost us and it's, we're going to have to leave our comfort zone and we're going to have to be counter-culture and I'm going to have to be known and I'm going to have to get to know people. I mean, you know, I, I can't treat this like I treat every other thing in the world. It's a lot easier just to remain anonymous and have shallow connections. But one thing I do know about this is this, is that whenever Jesus asks me to do something that seems a little bit difficult or counterculture, what I know that is on beyond what I see in difficulty is always a blessing. Beyond what the difficulty and the mess and the cost and the sacrifice and the coming out of my comfort zone to build friendships and relationships and the time and the energy and the chances of rejection and the chances of being offended and all of that are things that keep me out of that world. But I know if Jesus has told me to do it, I do it, I risk, I take the risk, there's always a blessing on the other side of it. I've always found, amen, I've always found that On the other side of sacrifice, on the other side of difficulty, of the other side of obeying Jesus, I'm the one who gets enriched. I am the one who gets blessed. And it's the same with this thing. M. Scott Peck said this. This is my last quote. I'll finish with this. He said, There can be no vulnerability without risk. There can be no community without vulnerability. And there can be no peace and ultimately no life without community. You were created for community. You were born to live with people. You were born to know people and be known and live in a world where people care and look after you and you care and look after them. Church, I want to say, in this world, we need to be faithful to connect. This is something that we've got to go after. And in this church, when we say connect, we mean build with other people in the church. If all your friends are out there and not in here, I think you're in danger of being out there. (laughs) This is a place where we have to go after relationships and connections and we've got to be faithful to connect, to meet, to do coffee, to get to know each other, be vulnerable with each other because at the end of that, there's a life, there's a peace, there's a health There's a richness, there's a nourishment that comes to our own personal lives. Amen. I'm going to ask Trisha Knox to come and land this word this morning. Amen. Would you guys like to come on up? Thank you for joining Church Online today. We hope that you were inspired and challenged by today's message. We would like to encourage you to join one of our connect groups where you can make friends and discuss the word further. You can message us on 072-606-6747 to join a connect group or to send us any prayer needs you might have.